Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author and Property Investor. And this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted that today I'm joined by my namesake, although I hasten to add we're no relation, it's Christopher Jones, known as Chris. Chris Jones. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you, Chris? Very well, thank you, and thank you for uh, having me here. No, well, it's an absolute pleasure, and I've wanted to get you onto the podcast for some time. I know that you're a man of much experience, and you're a bit of a mystery man as well, a globe-trotting international speaker, but we will talk about that as we go through. But Chris, we first met probably a few years ago. You were doing the speaker training, I think, was probably when I first really became aware of you. Yeah. You were doing ESR. That's right. Unlimited success. This is Two and a half years progressive. ago. Yeah. And it's at that point that I realised that you were actually quite a formidable businessman. You've got quite a very impressive CV. I don't usually read these out, but I'm going to at the risk of embarrassing Chris. And I have to say that Chris is actually, I wanted to sort of pre-frame this by saying, one of the things which really struck me about you is that despite all of your experience, you're actually a very humble man with it because you don't go around shouting about this. But you're an entrepreneur, you're a cyber security advisor, and I'd say expert. You're a private investor, you're a business mentor, a, ju- a global public speaker, to name a f- but a few things. So it's a real honor to have you in the studio today Thank and you. to be able to pick your brains. So, Chris, let's start with what your sort of key role has been over the last few years. Cyber security and aerospace and all this kind of stuff. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's start by saying I always wanted to be a st- spaceman. Um, <laughs> I, having not managed to become an astronaut, um, I got into uh, aerospace um, and also automotive, uh, initially on the design side, uh, because I started off as a, a 3D designer um, and then fell into computers, which I found I was reasonably good at is one of those peculiarities. I have a brain that stores useless information and 90% of computers is useless information. (laughs) Well, again, I think that's a really good example of you being humble. I'm sure that your brain isn't full of useless information. Yeah. uh, And your success in life and business and property is testament to that. But yes, I've been doing um, IT security for about 30 years. Um, and have run my own um, IT security and business consultancy firm for the last 18 years. Um, prior to that, as I was saying, I, I worked with the likes of VW Group Worldwide and uh, Airbus Group Worldwide. Um, very much troubleshooting, sorting problems out and making sure that things ran smoothly. Hmm. And that's kind of morphed, hasn't it, from the IT security into cyber security. That's sort of like the big thing at the moment. I mean, read in the papers and hear on the news about hacking and how that could be sort of like World War III could all be done virtually on computers with the superpowers hacking each other. Yeah, World War III is happening um, in cyberspace. And quite honestly, if anybody is listening who has, uh, is at the start of their career, and has half an ounce of capability in uh, with computers and IT, I highly recommend getting into the cybersecurity arena as a business because there will always be work and it will always be reasonably well paid. Mm. 
but that is still just a job. You know, it may be a career, but it's still just a job. Mm. But you've actually sort of taken it and, and you've sort of done all the things which we talk about at Progressive and you've made it into a business. Oh, yes. It's become an income stream as opposed to, as you say, just a, a grind. Yeah. So how, how did that happen? How, how did you sort of transition through 30 years in aerospace and IT security into becoming, I suspect, one of the world's leading cyber security experts, if that's not sort of hyping it too much? I'm certainly a global speaker on the cyber security arena. And yes, I did help to write the latest international standards on disaster recovery and resiliency for big, big businesses and governments. Uh, whether or not that makes me an expert, I don't honestly know, but I am proficient at it. Hmm. How did I get there? Um, well, as I say, I run, I've run my own IT consultancy company since 2003. Um, but I was working in the business and not on the business. And so even though we had up to 20 people working in the business, I was also working in the business. Uh, and the reality of it was um, that I didn't realize the mistakes I was making until I went to the multiple streams of property mm. in, uh, income. And uh, Rob Moore showed a graph that says, your business goes through this sort of progression. And I looked at the graph and I thought, it bloody well does. Mm. And I've just hit one of those points and I need to learn more about how to get beyond that point and turn what was, okay, I was a businessman. I had my own business. Uh, I was employing up to 20 people and we were, we were competing successfully against the likes of IBM and so on and so forth for IT contracts. But I was still working every single day in the business for 12 hours a day or more. Um, and I'd, I'd kind of hit a brick wall. Um, but having listened to Rob and also then decided to go on and do something in property, that then released my thinking about what I was doing in business as a whole and allowed me to see outside of what I was doing and go, hang on a second, I've just created another job for myself, just over broke. Even though we were pulling in a good amount of money, I was still um, shackled to working every single day. Um, and I took the decision at that point to learn what I needed to learn, to move beyond that, so that I can now decide when I work and where I work and can quite happily take time to go to New York or, as I say, this next week going to Doha for four days in order to do cybersecurity conferences. Hmm. I think many of our listeners will be able to relate to this totally. And I think it's some really interesting stuff that you brought out there, Chris. I mean, for the start, you know, how does one define success? Because on the face of it, you were very successful, but you were shackled, or at least that's how you perceived yourself. There must have been something which brought you here, despite the fact that you were doing so well in technology, aerospace, cybersecurity, all that great stuff. Something brought you here to the Multiple Streams of Property Income event in 2014. What was it? What were you searching for? Um, it was 2008. Was it? It was. Ah. Um, Where did I get 2014 from? <laughs> no, no, you're right. I started in 2014. I don't move quickly. Ah. Um, so 2008 hit, and I'm sure many business owners will relate to the fact who have been in throughout the um, uh, recession, 
um, 2008 hit, um, I thought that we had diversified as a business because we had multiple customers, but they were all in the same sort of businesses. They were all multinationals. They were all in the automotive or aerospace arena. And all of a sudden, they all stopped spending money. And I was faced with the situation of having to lay off more than half my staff. Uh, and that hurt. Um, so, as I say, I don't move quickly. And it took me a while to realize that actually I hadn't diversified the way that I thought I had. And that what I really needed was another form of income that was completely divorced from the um, IT business consultancy kind of work. And I've always had a real passion for architecture and houses and, and so on. And I thought, well, obviously property has got to be a reasonably good way of going. After all, we are an island. We are not creating more land. Therefore, property prices in Britain will almost certainly always go up over time, supply and demand. And if I do it right then I can be a buy-to-let landlord and, in my naivety, not have to do much to get some income coming in. Reality is never the same as mm. your, your perception. Mm -hmm. um, so having come finally, slowly, to the decision that actually I was a Muppet and I did need to actually diversify properly, uh, I decided to look at property and the whole progressive um, company came to my attention through the emails. Okay. So had you tried property before then? No, other than owning my own house. Mm. Um, we had not done anything with property before then. Um, I'd kept an eye on the market and so on where we lived because, well, inquiring minds need to know. Mm. Um, but no, we'd not done anything at all in property. So my first foray into property was um, 2013. Okay. I mean, just to wind back a little bit, mm -hmm. it's interesting that 2008 was the catalyst to make you think about going into property because 2008 was the catalyst to drive many people out of property. There's a bit of an irony there. <laughs> yes. But I think that's very interesting, though, because if from a business point of view, we can all look at the same thing but see it in completely different ways. Some people see the problem, some people see the opportunity. Mm. And clearly you were beginning to think, well, this is actually more of an opportunity than the thing I'm already in. It was more risk mitigation. Hmm. I mean, whatever business you go into, there will be risks and there will be opportunities. Um, I had put pretty much all my eggs into one basket, and that was a massive risk, and I hadn't realized it. So for me, it was a case of let's find an asset class that is quite diverse and uh, removed from the IT what is that? Well, it's bricks and mortar. So there was an opportunity there. So 2013. Yeah. What happened in 2013? I went to multiple streams of property in, uh, income uh, in London um, for the weekend uh, and really, really enjoyed what I heard. Um, I actually bought the HMO course because, well, you know, why start with something simple? Why not just jump straight in? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, actually, whether your interest in property was you're going to buy a few little buy-to-lets or whether you were going to actually create yet another business oh, around oh, it. Oh, it has to be a business. Hmm. I mean, property is a business. Um, 
unless you're you're playing at it. If it's a hobby, it's a hobby. If it's not a hobby and you actually want to make money, which I do, then it has to be a business and you have to treat it as a business. Mm. That, I think, is a really crucial point which a lot of people overlook when they first come into property. Putting you on the spot a little bit, mm-hmm. but what would you say the main differences are then between when you, somebody who's treating property as a hobby and somebody who's treating it as a business? What would be the distinctions? What should we be doing? Systems. Okay. So it's um, two things, systems and teams. If it's a hobby, you don't need systems because you'll fly by the seat of your pants and you'll just do things when you want to do them, as you want to do them, and probably lose money, unless you're really lucky. You never discount the, the, the fortune of luck because people can do nothing and be phenomenally lucky. I've never been like that. I've never been that lucky. My mother always said, luck comes in two forms, Chris, good and bad. Um, and I've had a share of both, but I do not rely on luck. Mm. I rely on business ability. Mm. Um, and so to run a business, to have property as a business, you need systems. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to create a rod for your own back, and it's just going to be yet another grind and, and hard work, really hard work. Do not believe for a second that property is going to be an easy panacea for all your problems. Mm. If you're going to do it properly, you have to put the work in. If you put the systems in, you don't have to work as hard. Mm. If you get a team working with you, then again, you don't have to work anywhere near as hard because you can spread the load. One brain is good, two brains are better. Um, so getting a, the proper team in, getting your systems in place, turns a hobby into a business. And what you've really described also is the formula for scaling up. Mm. Because again, a distinction between somebody who's doing it as a business and somebody who's doing it as a hobby is scale. And I see so many people who sort of dabble mm. and they spend so long procrastinating over their first property. Whereas actually, I know I'm a bit gung-ho about these things, but I'd say, well, let's go out and buy a dozen mm-hmm. and just go and do it. Because then you have got a business and then you've scaled up. And okay, it may be that one or two don't work out quite as well as the others, but you've got the security of the numbers, the scale. It's just there. Absolutely. But you can't do that without the right team and the right processes. I wish I'd actually spoken to you many years ago, Chris, because one of the things which I realized coming to Progressive was that one of the things which I'd never done in my property business was put all the systems and processes in place which are mm. needed. But somehow I'd managed to battle through and get it to all work anyway. But coming here, that light bulb moment when Rob Moore started telling me all about leverage, yes. which of course he would, and he's written books about it, and it's a great book, by the way. Yep. It made such a difference. And finding people who could come in and take a lot of the burden off me to free me up to do even more. Of what you were good at. At what I was good at, yeah. yes. I mean, this is the other fallacy. Um, people think that you should train yourself to be better at the things that you're weak at. Yes. It's total bollocks. Sorry, I I mean, it's total rubbish. (laughs) You should train yourself to be the best you can possibly be at the things that you are good at Mm. and find other people that are a damn sight better than you are at the things that you're bad at Mm. and employ them. Mm. Mm. Totally. It takes quite a strong character to do that, though. Yes. And, and I well, think the education system as well tries to knock that out of us and tells us that we should be trying to get good at the things we're bad at. Yes, because it's all about passing average tests. Mm. Um, I've never been 
average. Um, I just a bit of background that's not covered by the the CV. Um, I have dyslexia. I always struggled at, at school. Um, we come we came from a very very poor family, and my mother was paralyzed for most of my early childhood. Um, so I know a lot of people t- hear me and think, what an upper-class twit. Not at all. Um, there were times when I actually went to school with a handful of dog biscuits because I'd not had the opportunity to have breakfast. So I've never been average. <laughs> mm. And so the school system didn't suit me particularly well. However, I've also always been bloody-minded. Mm. Um, and um, this means that I don't allow those sort of things to be a problem. They are either a, a whip to um, charge me forwards or a opportunity to um, develop a sense of self-reliance, but also an understanding that other people have things to offer which are way beyond my capability to deliver myself. Mm, interesting. Now, we're going to get onto your property experience in a moment, but I think this is worth diving into a little bit deeper because one of the things which I'm absolutely convinced of, having come here almost six years ago now, not knowing a lot about mindset, but suddenly realizing that mindset is the key to everything, Mm -hmm. which I think it is. It's not about necessarily knowing the technical knowledge, although education is important as well. But mindset is what you actually do with what you know, is what you do with the gifts and the abilities you have. And I happen to think, and I don't know whether you'd agree with this, that persistence is absolutely key. Oh, yes. And you're calling it being bloody-minded, but it's probably the same thing. Yeah. Is that something which can be learnt and developed, or is it something you're just born with? I think there's a bit of both in there. Um, I have found that those people who are persistently persistent are often those people who have worked through adversity because it has taught them persistence. I'm not saying the world is binary, but um, there are, or, or there tend to be extremes. Um, and people who have been through adversity, I'm not counting myself in that, I've had a few hardships, but not adversity. But those people who have been through adversity either collapse because the pressure is too great and they cannot cope, or they rile against it and it engenders in them a real sense of determination of, no, I will not give up, and I will do pretty much whatever it takes, in my case, within the law, but not always everybody's, um, whatever it takes to succeed. Mm. I totally agree. And I think that's the one thing which distinguishes people who are truly successful from people who are trying to be but never quite get there. Mm. It's that persistence and seeing it through to the bitter end. Yeah. As, as I always say at Masterclass, if you're still doing this in 10 years' time, you're going to be successful. Yes. I don't see how you can be doing it in 10 years' time and not be successful. Absolutely. But you just got to keep going for 10 years. To some extent, it, it's, it's very much like uh, uh, compounding. If you carry on doing it and it's the right thing, you will be successful. And the more you do it, the more successful you will be. And if you're talking about riches, money, then the more you do things that make you money, the more money you will make. 
and you can compound it. Mm. And it's the same with, with persistence. The more you are determined to carry on, the more you'll carry on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start to think about how this actually impacted upon your property business then. Mm-hmm. 2013 Multiple Streams Property Income event. You've heard all about HMOs. Yep. You've bought the course. You want the education. You think you can build a business around that. Yep. What happened next? <laughs> Reality set in. Um, yes, we, uh, we, I did the course. Uh, I, I went to the uh, Multiple Streams uh, in the November. Yep. I'd bought my first HMO by January. There you are, action taker. Um, and we very much had um, a vision of doing this to help predominantly young men who had been living rough, and we were working with a charity uh, in Middlesbrough to get them off the street. Um, and they would work with the charity for about four months, and then they would come to us, and we would provide them with really good accommodation um, for as long as they needed it to get them on their feet with a job and all the rest of it. So that was that was the aim. Um, and we have done that since uh, the very early 2014. You say we? Is, who, who, who's the we? So my, my wife and myself, um, and we started off with two very good friends, um, uh, and... This is where reality sits in. Uh, we, we bought the house, we gutted it, we renovated it, we put on suites into the bedroom, and we made it um, absolutely gorgeous. And it still is. Uh, and the young lads that come and live there, quite honestly, are quite blown away because they've not had the opportunity like that before. Um, so we'd got the one property, and it was up and running, and it was making money. It was never made, meant to make a huge amount of money, don't forget, this is diversification. We've got uh, a long-term asset which will grow in value over time, and it's paying its way. So we didn't need lots of profit. Um, and then we had an opportunity to buy a huge Victorian mansion, for want of a better word. Um, and it would have had 18 rooms. And this is in Middlesbrough. So that's a pretty big Victorian place in Middlesbrough. Um, and we got to the week before we were going to actually sign the contract for it. And my friend, or actually more specifically my friend's wife, um, decided that it was too much of a risk. Now, this is my error because I hadn't understand her appetite for risk. And she pulled their part of the funding with a week to go. And unfortunately... At that time, I hadn't got the network that I've now got, uh, and I couldn't fill that gap of, of, of funding, so the whole thing fell through. Um, we're still good friends with these people, but they're no longer my business partners. Um, and you learn from these things. You learn from these mistakes. So that set us back quite substantially. I think that probably set us back at least a year in our, uh, our growth. Um, but at the same time, it might have been a good thing um, because in that time, I learned a lot more about what it takes to really run that sort of business and, and what the reality is compared to what my fantasy was. Um, and the truth of the matter is that the HMO that we'd got, most of the tenants were really good 
and occasionally we've got a bad one. Uh, and if you multiplied that by you know a, a factor of uh, four with a nineteen room house, then you know most of the t- uh, uh, the tenants would be great, but you'd have four or five bad ones. And by bad ones, I mean the ones that decide to set up a um, a drug den in the house, or decide that they are going to use the attic to grow marijuana, or um, and so on and so forth. These things are normal. But I didn't realize they were normal at the time. Mm-hmm. That intervening t- period where it all sort of fell through and we had to then wind back and, 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 and not quite start from scratch, but you know, restart, taught me a great deal about the real-life realities of running a property business. And it also taught me more about the sort of partners that I need to work with in my property business. So those two partners left, and we got, I got other partners to join me in Hive Property Group. Okay, well, I was going to ask you about Hive. Before I do, though, we'll come back to Hive, jumping around a little bit. Yeah. That's okay. Because around about the same time as you did the HMO course, presumably you signed up for VIP. I did. Best decision I made, quite honestly. Okay, well, just for anybody who's listening who's wondering what VIP is, it's the 12-month m- mentoring program which progressive run also with your business experience and background did you need to do that did it help i mean what oh, what, what brought you here to do vip so forgive my lack of um humility but within the it world i am very very good at what i do i wanted to be very good at property and the only way to become very good is to learn from the best You can do all the reading you want, but it is the real-life interaction with people that have actually been there, got the scars, and wear the T-shirt that is going to deliver the greatest value to you. Mm. Now, VIP is one of these things where you get out what you put in. If you turn up every month, and if you do the actions that you are set by your mentors, um, and if you network the hell out of the room you'll come away with a phenomenal experience. If you turn up now and then, can't be asked to do the tasks that uh, your mentor sets you and sit in the corner and don't talk to anybody, just eat the food, then it's going to be an awful experience. Mm. I did all the actions. I turned up every month and I networked the hell out of the place. Mm. That doesn't surprise me because I know that you do business mentoring. You're on the other side of it and yes. you actually mentor and you, you're a key player in, in business startups. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen it from both sides. Uh, so presumably- funnily enough, VIP was one of the things that really kickstarted my latest um, round of angel investing mm. because I met the wonderful. Uh, Ray McLennan uh, from Angel's Den. And what had been a hobby of investing in other companies, maybe one company a year, and um, uh, teaching the business owners how to not make the same stupid mistakes that I'd made, um, turned into much more of a business opportunity, which is why I'm now very much a professional angel investor and professional business mentor. Uh, globally. Um, Not only that, but I'm actually a STEM ambassador mentor now, 
Um, so well, I was going to ask you, what, what is STEM? I see you've got a very nice shiny badge on your lapel yeah. there. So STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering and maths. Um, these are the, the core subjects in schools for people who are going to be our future engineers, mathematicians, scientists, chemists, astronauts. Um, and because I'd been, I, I started mentoring businesses way back in 2005, but very much sort of on an ad hoc basis. Then when I started in about 2014, having done VIP and met Ray and so on, I very much went far more into doing professional business. I'm a qualified business mentor through the Institute of uh, Entrepreneurs, which I think is fabulous. And I started doing proper business mentoring every day from, um, depending on um, the, the companies that I'm working with, from 5.30 in the morning through till uh, 7.30 in the morning. Or if I'm dealing with America, it's um, 12 o'clock our time, um, which is very early morning for them, uh, and then you know, onwards. So international business mentoring um, and the angel investing. And that was, again, because of VIP, because mm. of the people that I met there, particularly um, the fantastic Mr. McLennan. Mm. Interesting. Because Ray, yeah, he's a great guy and he's an integral part of the progressive community here. I think he's now badged as RAF, Raising Angel Finance. That's right, yes. yes. And he has his own podcast, by the way. So mm. if you want to go and search for that, you'll find Ray and his podcast. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but he's out there. Yeah, so Raising Business Finance. There you are. That sounds, yes. I think. <laughs> sounds very likely. So you did the VIP. Yep. Yeah. And it's at that point you decided that you're going to ramp everything up. This is what you were doing it for anyway. Yep. You're building a business. And then Hive came along. How did Hive start? And what is Hive all about? H-I-V-E, like the bees. Yes, that's right. Just like the bees. Um, and it's, it's uh, like the bees because we wanted to have a Hive-like mind where we were all working together for the common good. Mm. Um, now, initially, um, Hive Property Group started off as, as a club. Um, of um, like-minded property professionals who had all been through VIP, uh, people that I had identified in VIP in the year that I'd been there that I thought that I could work closely with on a, uh, in a club um, of mutual support where we would work on our own projects but be there to help each other if, if needed. Um, and so... We came together and, and started planning it all out because there's no point in jumping into these things without doing the planning properly. Mm. And one of the things that we found out was that the, bank, the banks would not give us a bank account as a club because apparently clubs are not meant to make a profit and we were going to make a profit. So in order to work together, we had to form a limited company. And so that's what we did. Um, so we formed a limited company with the objective of um, buying property, buy-to-lets, HMO, looking at some of the bigger capab um, uh, possibilities for new build and so on and so forth. Because the, the members of Hive have a range of different experiences. Um, and we, we, we did okay. Um, but with any venture like that, when you start off meaning to do one thing and find that you have to change course um, 
partway through, then it doesn't necessarily gel the way it was it would to start with. Mm. So what what was going to be a club became a business, and because it was a business, um, we found that we weren't pulling together as a business because we never intended to pull together on everything when it was a club. We were going to do our own things, but help each other to do those. Um, whereas with a business, you can't all go off and do your own things. You have to have a, a clear business objective. You've got to um, look at what the overall strategy for the business is and decide what business models fit that strategy and then go for them. Hmm. So over the two years, we pared down uh, various people left to do other things um, and, and set up their own companies and, you know, they're doing really well. And I'm absolutely delighted because that's the way it should be. And it's left um, just a core. Um, there's uh, Derek and myself up in Hartlepool who are doing the, the buy-to-lets. We're looking at the HMOs. We're uh, working with investors and um, uh, building the Hive Property Group back up from there. Mm. And this is still all part of your diversification? All part of the diversification. In fact, the diversification has become even more diverse with the angel investing um, because what I have found is partly through the, uh, the business mentoring is that what I have to offer is a great deal of understanding about how businesses work, both in this country but also globally. And I've got a wide black book of connections. And so there are a number of businesses that I have invested in that have asked me to be a non-executive director or a mentor for their business. And so that has, again, diversified my uh, forms of income. Mm. Well, it's often the case, isn't it, that business comes from doing business. Yes. And you never know which way it's going to lead you. But if you do something, you'll end up somewhere. In, in, indeed. Part of the difficulty is being focused. Um, as I've said before, inquiring minds need to know. And I, I, I don't necessarily suffer from the magpie syndrome of, ooh, shiny, shiny. But I do tend to go, oh, now that's really interesting. I wonder what we can do with that. And it took me a long time to learn that it's okay to say no. Mm. Mm. And wise too. And very wise too. Mm. Yes. The other thing I learned was it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you will always run out. So one of my main activities is, is raising joint venture funding. And doing that very well, I, I imagine. Yes. I mean, this month so far, since the beginning of January, I've managed to raise 70,000. 70,000. Now, just to put that into a context... I don't know when you're listening to this, listeners, but it's currently the 8th of January. So in a week. In a week, you've, yeah. You've raised 70 grand. Not bad. I know. Um, Not bad. I, I'd like to you raise, do that every week. Well, I'd like to raise another 140 by the middle of February. For a particular project? Um, so that is for a particular project. That's actually for the waste plastics reuse and recycling business that I'm uh, helping you get off the ground which is a phenomenal business. Um, and funnily enough, over Christmas, um, so this is, this is a business that's just coming out of proof of production. Got some fabulous, fabulous new technology. And we're raising the money to start the production line, to actually start full production. 
They've got pre-orders of two and a half million, um, but they will only turn on once we've got the production line up and running. Um, but over Christmas, we were approached by a couple of countries, the, um, uh, the um, ambassadors for a couple of com- countries, to see whether or not we could help those countries with their plastics waste problem. So we've said, well, yes, we'd be interested, but we obviously need to know more about it. Gosh. So what are you actually going to do with the plastic waste? Here we are. I never thought we could be talking about this when you came in this well, morning, but plas- fascinating so stuff. This, this is very m- relevant, obviously. This is mixed plastics. This is the big, big problem that we've got at the moment uh, with the environmental damage of the, the mixed plastics, which cannot be recycled. Well, of course they can. You've just got to have the technology to do it. So those plastics are going to be recycled, reused into um, things like um, street furniture, uh, garden furniture, um, motorway uh, hoarding, um, a whole raft of different rafts, a whole raft of different uh, products, um, turbine blades um, for uh, hydroelectric power production. Um, basically, anything that you can think of that you can extrude in plastic. Um, we will be able to manufacture. And where's this going to happen? So initially it's happening, the the pre-proof of uh, uh, production is currently happening in uh, Barnsley. Um, And we are raising the money to uh, acquire a factory, so partly property, it's a commercial acquisition of land, uh, to build a factory in uh, Hartlepool. Brilliant. I have to say, (laughs) I find that very exciting. Going off a little bit of a tangent here, but it is property related it because is. you're going to own the building. Absolutely. Yeah. And so absolutely valid. And what a great way of doing property. Yeah. Certainly a jump up from your HMOs. Uh, yep. But but fantastic because it makes me so frustrated that all of our plastic gets shipped off to places like China to be recycled. Why can't we build a recycling plant in this country? And the answer is... You are. We are. Chris, I had no idea. Yeah. It's one of the great things so, about doing this podcast. Oh, we are I looking can for these things out of my guests. <laughs> they don't even know we're in them. Yeah. So brilliant. So you're going to not only keep the property side, but you're actually going to do good for the planet and do something good for the country. We are. And the property side is actually quite important because I'm bringing in a lot of the knowledge that I have learned from Progressive into the, the buying of the commercial property, the land and the existing factory but also how to set up the company organization so that the property itself is held within one corporate identity and um, the other corporate identities, because there's a, a, a reclamation company, there's a, a, um, a number of startups that are going to be on the factory site as well, are paying rental into that holding property holding company for the property that we've acquired. Mm. So it's it's all about the knowledge that we've learned pretty much from Progressive. Mm. Excellent. So what what is your vision for the property business? I mean, that is a fantastic thing. I could talk to you about that all day long, but I yeah, won't. Because, because we're here to talk about property. <laughs> but what what's your vision for the whole property side of things at the moment? Are you going to go in more Legacy. commercial? Or are you going to carry on doing the buy-to-lets and HMOs? Have you moved on now? So No, no, no. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm. Um, we are... Continuing to do the bike-let because it's a really good um, money earner. And this is the thing I didn't realize. You know, like I said, I jumped straight into HMOs because I thought, hey, I can do this. 
I had not understood just how potentially profitable simple buy-to-lets can be. Mm. So we're carrying on with the buy-to-lets. We're also doing some HMOs. But we're doing them right from the experience that I've had over the last four years. And are you still doing that with the charity and housing yes. homeless lads? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that is no longer the primary driver. Mm. Um, again, it's a matter of learning. One of the things that I've learned very much, um, not to our cost, but yeah, to our benefit, is that you can't help the poor by being poor yourself. Mm. Mm. So we have to have that, that commercial aim within Hive of making a good profit so that I can use some of that to help those who are far less fortunate and need every uh, helping hand they can get. Mm. So, yes, we've got the buy-to-lets because they're a good, solid source of income. Mm. We're doing the HMOs, and as you say, we're looking at doing the commercial property because it's commercial property and because it fits in with the recycling business and the other businesses that we're looking at. One of which is a, um, it's actually a space launch system company that's based in Middlesbrough called uh, Strato Booster. And uh, we will be using that to help them launch their satellites into space, hopefully this year, if we can get the paperwork sorted. Wow. Wow. Now, you've mentioned Middlesbrough a few times, Chris. Mm. You're based up in Middlesbrough? Just outside. Um, Which is not a million miles from Hartlepool. It so is. It makes sense yes. that you're working with Derek. Derek. But the any- wonderful Derek. Wonderful Derek. Anybody who doesn't know Derek. Actually, Derek has agreed to come on the podcast in a few weeks' time, which I'm thrilled about. Derek's a VIP mentor. He's also, I suppose we would call him a deal package of property yes. sourcer. Yeah. But he's more than that. The Don. The Don. The Don of, of Hartlepool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you want any properties in Hartlepool, you and he are probably the people to talk to. Very definitely. Now, you mentioned earlier that you, you're looking for investors. Or yes, you, always. Let's talk about that because you never know who's listening. Indeed. Um, so it depends on um, what we're talking about. If we're talking about property investing, um, then we're very much looking for people who want to invest um, anything from £70,000 upwards um, in order to... Um, either get a really good rate of return on a straightforward loan or to do a joint venture with us um, on um, the uh, the purchase and, and management and ownership of uh, properties up in the Hartlepool area. If we're talking about the, the wider um, sort of angel investing, the business investing, um, there are a number of different companies that I am working with to help, everything from um, a, a media company, um, a print company, um, the plastics recycling company, um, the uh, space technology companies, and so on. And the amounts that people um, we're, are looking to raise range from um, about 250000 right the way up to $2.5 million. Mm. That doesn't mean to say somebody has to come in with $2.5 million. That can be a consortium. It can be a number of people, you know, acquiring shares in the companies um, at £25 a share or £100 a share or whatever it happens to be. Um, But we are always looking for investors. There are always excellent opportunities. But the people who are doing that sort of investing need to be either sophisticated investors 
or individuals of high net worth. Those are the two conditions in order to really um, do that sort of investing. But on the property side? Uh, pretty much, pretty much anybody. Um, there are, of course, um, legal definitions for what you can and cannot say about a joint venture, even though we call them joint ventures. They are not legally joint ventures unless you happen to be a sophisticated investor or an individual of high net worth mm. or a family member. Mm. Um, but uh, on the property side, it really is somebody who has money in the bank mm. that is not really doing very much at all in the bank, maybe attracting half a percent or even one and a half percent, and would actually like to earn a lot more, and I do mean a lot more, um, with, while still having the security of that investment uh, against bricks and mortar. And what do you see the attraction of Middlesbrough and Hartlepool being, if that's not a loaded question? Uh, so the attraction is very, very simple. Um, the attraction is um, low cost of um, access. So you can buy properties quite cheaply. We, we can buy properties quite cheaply. Derek can buy ch properties phenomenally well. Um, and the rental we get... It's very good, really very good. So, for example, a property that would cost us about 60000 we are able to rent out for in excess of 500 a month. Mm. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yes. And any equity growth, a capital growth? <laughs> Not so much, although uh, you say that. Um, we do know that the property we bought first in Middlesbrough um, we got it for 61000 We now um, have decided to put that one back on the market as a fully ready um, three-bedroom HMO, and that's now on the market uh, for 81000 Yes. It was a bit of a naughty question of mine, actually. And one of the <laughs> things which I often realise when, when I'm doing masterclass is that there's a perception that the north is still sort of bombed-out wasteland where nothing's happening. No, but absolutely gosh, no. not true at all. People come up to me and say, I'd like to buy up north, but I know that I won't get any capital growth. Well, and I look at them and say, well, why do you think you're not going to get any capital growth up north? Yeah. Of course you're going to get capital growth up yeah. north. But, it, so, percentages work like this. If you buy something that is 50,000 and it goes up by 10%, then you will get an increase of 5,000. If you buy something in London for 500,000 and you get a 10% increase, it will go up by 50,000. So in real terms, 5% is, uh, sorry, 10% is still 10%. But for a 500,000 pound house, that 10% equals to 50,000 pounds. Whereas up north, you buy an entire street for 500,000. So it's where do you want to put your money? You, you'll get good returns. You will, you'll get phenomenal monthly returns on income. And you will also get a capital uplift. But people say, oh, well, you don't get much in the way of capital uplift. Well, no, you don't, because you're not much spent much it's in low, the first place. Absolutely. It's harder to spot, but it's yeah. there when you look. Yeah. And it also comes in fits and starts as it well. Does. It does. It's a, people don't a wave. You know, mm. you will see a wave of increase um, moving up the country, and and then you get um, the odd s 
spurt yes. of growth. And we're seeing a definite spurt of growth in the Tees Valley area. So, mm. you know, uh, Stockton, Middlesbrough, Darlington, um, Hartlepool, Redcar, Yarm, those sort of areas in the Tees Valley because there's a phenomenal amount of investment going into that area. Um, it's really a booming area, you know, part of the northern powerhouse, uh, but very much um, an, a new industrial centre. Mm. And I think possibly if you don't visit and if you just read the Daily Mail, and I always pick on the Daily Mail, sorry, Daily Mail, you get a completely distorted view of what's happening in places like Middlesbrough, Newcastle, across Yorkshire, yep. Lancashire. Lot, a lot is happening, and the capital growth is definitely going to come if it hasn't come already. I can't say when because I've got a crystal ball, but it has to. It has to. And the thing is, it, as you say, Chris, it comes in spurts. Mm. You have 18 months where there's vigorous growth, and then sort of eight and a half years where nothing happens. Correct. Or so it feels. It is, it's, but it's plodding. Mm. Whereas I think London's far more spectacular, like a fireworks show. It goes up, it comes down, yeah. it happens far more quickly. Yes. But don't let that deceive you. So, very exciting times then for you, yes. personally. Your big vision in property, where are you going to be in five years? Still here. Yeah. Um, not only still here, but growing. Uh, the intention is to, to really leave a legacy um, of, of uh, property that we own, manage, um, up where we are. Um, five years, gosh. Now, this is the thing. People say, well, what's your five-year vision? I find it difficult to say what my five-month real vision is. I know where I want to go, but what do the actual numbers look like? And we work in a dynamic market. I work very much in very dynamic markets globally. So I take things sort of every two months at a turn. I have, I have a six-month goal. I have a 12-month goal. And then anything after that is kind of, yeah, it's vision stuff. Mm, mm. So the vision is um, a substantial property portfolio, mm-hmm. um, both um, privately and jointly owned, mm-hmm. um, with a diverse um, investment uh, position of continued buy-to-let, HMOs, and commercial. Um, and to have every single one of those sectors actually earning a good profit for us. So what's my, my goal, my aim, my vision? My vision is to have a property portfolio that is returning us a very, very good rate of return every single month that allows me to do what I'm doing at the present moment, which is decide when and where I want to work, travel the world to teach people about cybersecurity and make the world a slightly safer place. Mm. And... Encouraged by my wife, carry on this great thing with the plastic recycling. Oh, gosh, yes. What an amazing thing. Yeah. Amazing thing. As I say, make the world a slightly safer place. Right. So, Chris, anybody who's listening to this, and I'm sure there'll be lots of people who want to do this, will probably want to get in touch with you, talk to you about property, or even talk to you about investing in the or various business intrigue. opportunities you've been talking <laughs> about. How do, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find you? So, the best thing is probably to drop me an email. Mm-hmm. Um, and my email address is chris.jones at nbv, that's November Bravo Victor, hyphen or minus to you and me, Lima Tango Delta, LTD for limited, dot co dot UK. 
better say that one more time just Indeed. in case. Please don't write this down if you're driving. Yeah. Stop the car. <laughs> <laughs> Chris.Jones yep. at nbv-ltd.co.uk. There you are. So if you're interested in talking to Chris about sourcing new properties with a very good return or investing in the various business opportunities which he mentioned, either of those, Chris is nodding, get in touch. He'd love to hear from you. The other thing you could do is find me on uh, Facebook. Uh, so just search for uh, Christopher Jones, I think it is, on Facebook. But if you find a guy that's dressed in chainmail armour... I was going to ask you about that. Why, why has your profile picture <laughs> got you in chainmail armour? Well, it provokes questions like, Chris, why is your profile... <laughs> <laughs> um, that was my daughter's 18th birthday. Um, and... The business had generated sufficient money for us to be able to lash out on hiring a full castle for her 18th birthday and insist on all the guests coming in medieval costume. Wow. And we had uh, archers there to teach us how to do archery. We had um, uh, jugglers. We had uh, a, a Kaylee band and so on. It was a great, great time. And I actually made quite a bit of that chain mail myself. Um, and so it goes on my Facebook uh, page because it's a bit of fun. Absolutely. Brilliant. So how so I interrupt you. How do we find you on Facebook, Chris? Yeah, Facebook, um, as I say, just look for the guy that's dressed in yeah, the chain mail. That's fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, yeah. And send him a message. Yeah. yeah. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, And if you're looking for me on LinkedIn, it's Chris Jones and then put in NBV and it'll bring me up. Brilliant. Chris, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast It's today. been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, I, want, I will watch to see what happens with your various ventures with much interest. Maybe in a year or two you can come back and give us an update. Oh, that would be good. Love to hear about that. I'll still be here. Fantastic. So in the meantime, I've been Peter. And if you want to know more about me, you can come to my website, which is thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Make sure you put the T-H-E in at the front. It's the property teacher, all one word. If you go to property teacher, which I discovered recently, you go to somebody else's website. And we don't want that. You want to come to my website. And you'll find loads of great resources there, including my blog and loads of videos I've made and all sorts of stuff. But in the meantime, until next week, and hopefully you're all going to tune back in to listen to the Progressive Property Podcast. Until then, here's to successful property investing. Perfect. That was very good. Thank you very much. I hope I didn't sort of throw you a little bit with some of my uh, no, no, no. questions. No, no, that's fine. I didn't realise you were doing so much. I mean, I, I, I have my suspicions because, as I say, you're very humble and you don't really shout about what you're doing. Yeah, I, I'm not really... I, okay, I don't feel that I'm really doing that much. Um, I just plod on and do what I can. The overall aim in all these things is, as I say, to try and actually make the world a slightly safer place both the guys, kids that are rough on the streets and for the world as a whole. Mm. Oh, I love the whole thing of the plastic as well. Oh, yes. I mean, it's funny, this year, last year, 2018, I think it was obviously because of the Blue Planet probably, but everybody just became aware of the plastic thing. And I just couldn't believe it when I heard that there's no plastic recycling facilities that we can use. I mean, there must be. I mean, why aren't there? 
And I said because to Sarah, I said to my wife, somebody needs to go and build one in the northeast. Yes. Because that would be great then, to create some jobs. And yeah, that's what we're doing. But you're the, doing it. Yeah, we think um, that by the time we get it up and running, uh, we will have enough capacity to run it 24 hours a day, and we will be creating something like 35 to 40 jobs. Brilliant. And how much plastic will you get rid of? <sighs> tons and tons and tons, hundreds of tons. Yeah. Um, thousands of tons, actually. And what's more, because of the way that we're doing it, it can be continually recycled. So mm. when they come to the end of their useful life as, their, mm. as the product that are made, they can come back to us and we'll just recycle them again. Brilliant. And where will you get the, the, the initial plastic from? <laughs> it's all over the place. Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, is it bottles from bottle yeah, banks? Or, yeah, or, or, or? all over. Uh, literally all over. Councils across the country, uh, bottle banks, you know, a, a whole raft of different areas that have just... They're, they're currently sending it to, to skips, mm. you know, to, to landfill, mm. or they're burning it. Mm. Well, no, we want to divert it away from the landfills and away from being burnt, putting toxic fumes into the atmosphere and all the rest of it, or into the groundwater, and, and actually make use of it and recycle it. And we can do that now. 